The city of Mykolaiv in the southern Ukraine has been under constant Russian shelling for nine months. The city was living without water and electricity. The situation got better after Ukrainians have liberated Kherson, a city 80 kilometers from Mykolaiv. We went to Mykolaiv to know how the city is living today. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, a Ukrainian scholar and journalist who is heading international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So we went to Mykolaiv a few days ago. The city was not under Russian occupation, contrary to Kherson. Uh, our next episode is also about Kherson, to which we went uh, on the same days. What are your impressions from visiting Mykolaiv? Well, uh, let's start maybe describing how the road to Mykolaiv was, because uh, let's explain that Mykolaiv is some five, six hundred kilometers from Kiev, and normally in normal situation the trip takes around seven or eight hours. You drive for seven or eight hours, but what is happening during the war is that Google Maps they are not functioning correctly, and we really got lost uh, in the Mykolaiv region because GPS was not seen was not seen the proper, the correct roads to link to Mykolaiv. Imagine you try to go from point A to point B and you just enter Mykolaiv and the Google Maps will tell you that there is no way to Mykolaiv and the road which was indicated as a possible one in fact there were no road at all so we were able to drive at 10 at the speed of 10, maybe 15, 15 kilometers per hour so in inexistent, very old road and we were lucky enough to meet a policeman who explained us that this is linked to the war and there is no obstacle to take another road which on the Google Maps was indicated as if you cannot practice this road. So we took it took us many hours to get to Mykolaiv and when we drove into the city it was already quite dark. It's as dark as in Kiev so no electricity, no street lights but we are fortunate enough to find um, some light inside and yes indeed Mykolaiv is, has this image of a fort Fortress, fortress, because it was surrounded from at least three sides, right? Because from three sides there were Russians and they were trying, doing their best to capture the city, but they failed. And now this Mikolaev had this heroic image of a city which resisted against this Russian invasion. Yeah, so Russians have captured Kherson in the first days of the war, and uh, they moved farther, farther to the to the west to uh, capture and and to the north uh, to capture Mykolaiv as well, uh, because Mykolaiv would have opened the way to Odessa. Actually, our fears that Odessa will be taken from the sea uh, by land landed Russian forces. Uh, were not confirmed. They were uh, they were pushed back. Uh, but there was, of course, an opportunity, a possibility to take Odessa from uh, from the land. So Mykolaiv was very important. 
there was not a big siege of Mykolaiv. They tried to bypass it and go farther to the north. And we actually think that their major goal was to capture another nuclear plant, which is a Yuzhno-Ukrainsk uh, nuclear plant, which is really submitting lots of electricity for the uh, southern Ukraine, for the central Ukraine. We know that they captured, Russians captured, and still are occupying the Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Enerhodar. So if they could have occupied this Yuzhno-Ukrainsk nuclear power plant, um, this would, they would have controlled uh, the big part of the Ukrainian electricity generation. This uh, um, didn't happen, but what really happened is the city was under constant shelling. And what we knew, uh, what, what is specific in Mykolaiv, that the Russians they hid this water, water systems, and the city, the whole city was without water for many weeks and even months. And finally, when we arrived to the city, uh, they have water, Uh, in their in the houses, but this is not not uh, this is salt water. This is water taken directly from the sea, from Liman. So if you wash your dishes, that's all right. But you have to rewash it, and then if you take a shower, imagine you are taking a shower how we did, for example, during three our three nights in Mykolaiv, you are taking a shower, and the water is like 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 you are swimming in the sea because it smells like water from the sea, and the color is not is not really uh, transparent. So this is a water. And imagine that after the war, they would have to change the whole water system. I mean, um, because uh, salt water, it, it damages um, the whole system. So they will have to change it. And a lot of invest, investments will be needed after the water restore the whole thing. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, this water from Liman, Liman is uh, what, 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 what we call the the place uh, when uh, the river, Pivdenny uh, Buch, Southern Buch, is uh, kind of meeting the Dnipro River and meeting the sea, and therefore there, there were parts of this salty water from the sea, from the, from the Black Sea. Uh, so indeed, uh, now... It, it's not like very salty water, and and uh, but it's still you you can taste salty, and uh, you cannot really drink it. You cannot you cannot make tea out of it. You can not make coffee or dish or uh, eating uh, food with uh, with it. Uh, but uh, as people in Mykolaiv told us, well, this is still a, a very big progress compared to what they have just a few months ago when the water was really brown. Uh, going from the in their bathrooms, I was impressed by a story told by one lady from from the central library. We will talk about this library, but she was telling the story that a lot of neighbors left, and she was she stayed in the city uh, just to have for you to have a general picture. Half of population of Mykolaiv left after after these uh, intense shellings. They two hundred two hundred fifty thousand people. Yeah, out out of, out of half a million. And she was taking care of flowers, indoor flowers in the library and also in the apartments of her neighbors in her, in her, in her house. So, and flowers needed water. So what she was doing, she was quite busy uh, bringing water to these flowers because otherwise flowers will be out. So it will be, will be, will die. I don't know how to say it. So, uh, 
this was a kind of occupation, a kind of responsibility of people who stayed stayed inside the city to take care of not only of animals but also of flowers which were still there. And the the water was so precious that uh, um, there were a lot of bottles uh, transported from Odessa and from other cities in Ukraine. But they were able to give only one bottle in one hand, so you had you had to have to make a line. And uh, this lady also told us a story that, for example, there was an information that at four, at uh, at four they will be they will start this procedure of of, uh, of uh, delivering water. But people were in uh, making the line starting from seven in the morning, so they were waiting for for I don't know for nine hours, nine hours just to get their bottle of water, and you could on, only do that person. You could not just send somebody. So, and people who were old enough and not able to to walk to get their bottle of water, they had some problems They're just negotiating with their with their neighbors, with their friends to get some water for them. Imagine you need water for everything: to cook, to to wash, to drink, to clean. So you need really a lot of water every day. But in Mykolaiv, during weeks and even months, you spend maybe the majority of your time in order to get some water for all you need. That's that's it. Yes, and when you have these shortages of water, imagine you're without water for uh, for six months or seven months. Uh, what you do, for example, you, you try to keep it, right? If, if you need to eat, if you need to drink it, of course, you just drink it. But if you need to, for some other purposes, for example, to wash the dishes, you try to keep this water after washing the dishes to uh, to make some other operations, for example, for cleaning or for toilet, right, for canalization. Because uh, a big problem is, of course, canalization. Imagine you're living in the multi-store building uh, for months without water. So what... what what do you do when you go to toilet? This is a one of the big questions of the hygiene, right, in, in, in the city like that. We have seen also the destruction, and one of the most profound things, of course, it is the regional administration in the central square. If you go to our, well, if you Google it, regional administration at Mik- in Mykolaiv, you will see the pictures, the horrible pictures when actually a big multi-story building to which a, a Russian missile which Russian missile hit it's like with a huge wound with a huge uh, with a huge hole half of the building or the, I don't know one one quarter of the building is just collapsed and uh, it's just a building through which through which you can see the sky right we we have seen such buildings also in Borodyanka uh, I think they are kind of resemble each other. So when 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 a huge building is bombed and half of it collapsed, and you just have the big big hole, big wound inside it. Yes, and there were thirty eight people who lost their lives during the strike, and we met one lady uh, who was walking inside in this building. But that morning she was late for work, so that's why how she she survived. At the same time, two of of her colleagues died the same day so it was a tragic day the 29th of March in 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 Mykolaiv and we also were able to see personally uh, Kim Kim who is a governor of uh, Odessa region Mykolaiv Mykolaiv who is legendary personality uh Ukrainians really adore videos with him 
and he he seems to be quite young and he was just walking uh, close to this building the, the exact moment we were there and uh, some people from our group were able to make selfies even if it was him somebody very open very simple open to communicate Uh, for sure, administration is no more in this building. They are in different addresses throughout the city, so but they are active, and they just rep- represent this uh, this image of the legendary Mikolaev, who were the people, the city which was able to resist this Russian invasion. We were also um, let's also discuss this place because there are. Uh, there are residential buildings in front of these administra- regional administrations and still in this residential, big residential building, I think there is 16th floor or something like that, uh, windows are still broken. So they're, they're still out. Uh, nobody's or, living there. Uh, may, yeah, nobody's living there. Also in the cafes around, uh, uh, the, the glass is, uh, is, is not repaired, so it's just... Uh, completely broken still. So it's it's still, Mikolaev still looks like a half-abundant city, but there are already many people, many people, compare, compared, com, com, comparably, <laughs> many people on the streets, there are a big amount of cars, uh, so we could maybe compare it with Kharkiv in the summer, right? Yeah. And people are coming, according to, to figures we, we have from the media, around 50,000 people are already back to make a life. So 10% of the population is back during this uh, one month and a half after the liberation of Kherson, because what is key event here, the liberation of Kherson, because Russian artillery is far away now just to hit the city. They still can use missiles, but uh, missiles are expensive, so they will be not uh, hitting schools with missiles. By the way, talking about schools, let, uh, let's add this detail that uh, Russians were considering any big building like a potential place of military being present there. So they were hitting schools. There is no single school in Mikulayev which is uh, functioning just because they are either destroyed or damaged in a way, one way, way or another. So um, children present in the city, they cannot go to school simply. And they also destroyed partially destroyed uh, higher education uh, institutions, for example, uh, Mikolaev University, Kiev Mohila University in Mikolaev. Uh, so Just Mohila, you know, not Kiev Mohila. Mohila University Mohila. in Kiev. So Mikolaev. they were uh, they were considering any kind of big building like a potential threat. So unfortunately, these big places were hit. And this is a huge problem for the future because families will not be back to city I mean, uh, a lot of families will not be back to a city without schools. Uh, that's a problem. But at the same time, the theater just in front of, in on the same square, uh, this uh, public regional administration of Mikolaev is, you can find a theater, a marvelous, wonderful theater. And they, they were playing, they were performing uh, all during these dark times of intense shelling, they have a special scene in the on the underground for maybe thirty or forty people, and they were uh, presenting their shows almost every night uh, in the underground. Yeah, this is a remarkable thing that we notice um, in different places how cultural centers like theaters, like libraries. Uh, Mm, literature museums become the places of resilience 
and in Mykolaiv there is this theater they also constructed not not constructed they just opened an under underground stage a small stage for s- several dozens of spectators very little place but during the air raid sirens for example during the shelling they they were still uh, continuing their place there now they of course they try to renew uh, the, um, the, 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 the the work of the theater. The problem is, it, is that it was also shelled, so a rocket hit the courtyard of the theater and therefore the big hole is damaged. It is not right now functionable. It's remarkable. You may imagine you uh, every uh, big theater has a big, big lump, right? Uh, enormous lump, and they just put it down because um, if there is another another shelling, it can just fall and, of course, be very dangerous. But despite the fact that the central stage is not functional, these people in Mykolaiv Theater, they are doing their best to, to continue their work, to continue their place. And this is really very interesting and very, very strong. Yeah, well, we're also able to see some libraries. For example, the Central Scientific Library in the city center, and there was a Russian missile which arrived uh, several meters from the from the back entrance to the building. But they were lucky enough; it, it didn't explode. There were no explosions, so it didn't explode. So, and they, so just just this missile and uh, there ironical explanation was that not ironical but but explanation was that there was a monument dedicated to Saint Nicholas just close to this place, a patron of the city, which protected in a way this library from this big explosion. By the way, the place itself is remarkable now because this monument to Saint Nicholas now it's covered by by sacks with with uh, with um, sand, with sand, first and then to trans- protect the monument. To, this to, is a general to, practice. General. But, yeah. what, but but what is particular in Mykolaiv that after that they created a kind of a Christmas tree, uh, just using uh, camouflage, using all these things. So it's green. It looks like a tree, and a lot of decoration, New Year and Christmas decorations are there, and a lot of letters coming from as we can imagine from kids, maybe not only kids, also adults. Asking for victory for Ukraine, asking protection for Ukrainian army, uh, and all that stuff. So this is a place of uh, really intense energy in the city center, where people come just to, to. They have public events there. They have some gatherings. Their cafes open close to the place. So it looks like a really, really resilient uh, Christmas tree made out of sex. Yeah. So imagine a, a monument which is covered by lots of sacks with sand and then it is covered by this masking net in, in green and then it is covered the fourth layer is all those christmas toys all those letters to saint nicholas all those uh, all those drawings by kids and of course wishing the victory of ukraine this is also very 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 interesting thing so how creativity is still in in very dangerous places is still there in in dangerous places we have seen it in kharkiv we have seen that in uh, suburbs of kiev we have seen that in kherson we have seen that in uh, slovyansk we have seen it in many many places and this resilience is remarkable we talked to a director of the of uh, 
of one of the libraries, Victoria Aharkova, she's called, right? Uh, so almost like your last name with, with a little difference. And she was telling us like how, how they, despite all these shellings, how they not only stayed in the city, but continued working. Those people who stayed, they, they kept on working, they kept on uh, taking care about the library. And uh, people started to come back. People started to come back to, to get books. Because imagine you're in, in, living in the city where there is almost no electricity or constant electricity cuts. You have no television, you have no internet, you have, you have nothing. So books um, take a new life. So there is a new life for paper books because people want to read something, people want to get some knowledge. And this is a new life for libraries as well. This yeah. is this is very also interesting, right? Yes, and they have a really good uh, scientific uh, collection. This is not about fiction, it's about uh, scientific library. They have a huge collection and very modern one. They also had uh, computers and some trainings for elderly people, for example, 60 plus or 70 plus for, for many modern things, so they are extremely open to, to their public and they, they really enjoy what they are doing. Um, let's say about also the collection in, from Soviet time and in Russian language now they create a special, uh, special fund. They will be, they, they will, um, they will put all the books from that time inside. They will not destroy them for sure. They will keep them for scientific purposes, but they will be no in, no in free. Uh, people will, I mean, general audience will not be able to take freely all these books just to, so they're just changing also their policy about about what they are suggesting to their audience and let's also mention restaurants we were let, let me just let's let's end with libraries because we went to this central library with uh, with a delegation from pen ukraine a, a, a writers organization in ukraine and uh, there were people who just went to talk to us because we we, we made a, a small discussion, small round table. There were artists, there were um, geographers, there were archaeologists, there were journalists. And this was a very frank discussion. All of them, or almost all of them, stayed during these very hard times. And they were telling us how they lived through this. For example, one woman, um, a journalist, was telling us a story that a pharmacy near near her house was just hit by a missile and completely destroyed. But in, in just a several months, it was rebuilt and reopened. And now there is this, uh, this pharmacy working. Or another story uh, told by, by, by another lady, I think, that they were very kind of um, sentimental about the fact when the trees were cut from the central square because they were needed for fortification purposes and these trees which are really connected with the youth how they they remember how they were walking on the boulevards uh, surrounded by these trees so very sentimental very humane things humane memories that they were uh, they were uh, sharing with us also the artists who continued their paintings during the the occupation and made this image of the resil resilient Mykolaiv. This is very interesting. Coming 
maybe the last thing about libraries, that there is a network of libraries in the Mykolaiv Oblast, and some of them uh, were under occupation, and unfortunately some of them were destroyed. In some of them, the Russian soldiers were leaving, and, la- and, and usually Russian soldiers are leaving just complete chaos, complete destruction after themselves, just destruction in everyday sense. They They just destroy things, or they tear up the books, or whatever. And, of course, these little libraries in villages, in small towns, they will need reconstruction. They will need also books. And uh, we hope that Ukrainian, we as part of Ukrainian literary community will will try to help them in, in the future with this. So, remarkably, the libraries are also places of resilience during yes, this time. As, as well as uh, theaters. Let's, uh, we mentioned Kim, but let's also mention General Marchenka, who is responsible for this uh, extraordinary uh, defense of the city of Mykolaiv, a real hero for Mykolaiv, General Marchenko, who, who was present on the ground in February and March, and it's uh, um, thanks to him that the uh, city is still uh, was, was able to resist to this. He's really, uh, he's back now in Mykolaiv and people who live inside the cities, in the city, they feel protected. So they call him Marcello, General he's like, Marcello. He's like local Zaluzhny, right? So, and it's it's interesting that I felt this, that, for example, you can compare Kim with the governor with Zelensky um, and uh, Marchenko with Zaluzhny. And as Kim is much more known outside Mykolaiv for people living in Kyiv, and he's considered as a major architect of this Mykolaiv resistance, inside the city, people are rather, I think, I felt this a bit skepticism with regard to Kim, but uh, but adoration of Marchenko, right? So we can say the same about how Zelensky is perceived abroad and how he is perceived in, in Ukraine with much more skepticism, but uh, uh, Zaluzhny is perceived by many people as, as the real, you know, fighter that is ensuring the Ukrainian defense. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And yes, people really understand that all this was possible due to this military resistance, which was much more effective. But at the same time, um, in a way, we will also say that Kherson saved Mykolaiv in a way, because the time Russians spent in and around Kherson trying to advance, there were some intense battles uh, close to Kherson and between Kherson and Mykolaiv. So uh, military in Mykolaiv had a little bit more time to prepare themselves for battle. So that's why they were more successful in it. So in a way, Kherson was sacrificed, but it also at the same time, it saved, it saved Mykolaiv. So, and Mykolaiv saved Odessa, what is also clear. And Odessa, and a lot of people made, made this way from Mykolaiv and from Kherson to Odessa. And so all, all the three cities on the seaside, so, so close to the sea. Uh, and they are this kind of a similarity, but the same differences, but people are moving freely between, between all these citizens. For example, we met a, a musician, a f- very, a very interesting jazz musician in Mykolaiv, and who, he told us a story that he's traveling freely between Odessa and Mykolaiv because he's playing in Mykolaiv, but he's also playing, performing in Odessa. And the difference is between these two cities is in Mykolaiv, the period of, um, 
Kommandantska hodina um, curfew. curfew starts at midnight and in Odessa it starts at 11. So people in Mikulayev are much more free in a way. Even they are closer to the front line and they were under much more intense shelling. So, and he was, exp- he was telling quite a number of funny stories about him traveling through the checkpoints to Odessa and the, the police there was quite severe. And in Mikolaev, this is this this is a kind of they 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 feel this is um, this about liberty, you know, this about resilience, and they are extremely uh, extremely strong city and extremely strong people. And you mentioned restaurants. Restaurants are open; they are fantastic, and um, some of them that we have visited. There is live music, live jazz music concert that we have visited. The 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 hall is full of people, and uh, the, this musician, this music band, um, I I don't remember the name. It's something like performance band or something like this. Uh, very nice music, and uh, people were of course collecting also donations for to to support the Ukrainian army, and. Um, one of our colleagues, uh, director Oleksiy Kirin, who is doing uh, films for us, uh, short films, documentaries that you can watch on our YouTube channel, Ukraine World, will also make a film about Mikolaev and about Kherson. He actually donated the biggest sum at this concert and he got a T-shirt with an inscription Mikolaev and he uh, gave it as a gift to our daughter, Darina, who will wear this T-shirt. So there is also this personal story. And another story about restaurants, uh, and a different restaurant. We've been there in the morning, and as far as the next day, we were leaving uh, very early to Kherson. We were asking them if they could open at 7 in the morning or something like that, and the reply was uh, something that astonished us. They say, we are open from 4 in the morning, but from 4 until 9, we are cooking for soldiers, for military. So they are preparing every day meals for soldiers, for military. And they reopen at 9 for ordinary, for civilians. So they are playing this, doing this normal restaurant. But what they do in the morning, just imagine five hours per day, they do that for military. And this model of, I don't know, from business on one hand, and on the other hand, this is voluntary, this is, uh, um, Volunteer, volunteer engagement of of the local business is something very remarkable. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, the restaurant called, called Grafit, I think, right? Um, with with very tasty food and with a very nice setting. So, so this is how Mikolaev is living right now after horrible months of of shelling of. Uh, of almost encirclement, of the shortages of food, of water, of electricity. We actually had an impression that there is more electricity in Mykolaiv right now than in Kyiv. So this is very good. Although, of course, after the sunset, the streets are dark and uh, you can only move with the the lighter, with with the small lighter on your phone or, or on something else. So, but uh, we we do have the impression that uh, the city is coming back to life, and uh, this is a remarkable thing. Unfortunately, we cannot say this about Kherson. Kherson is now going through a much more harder, much harder times. Well, not much harder times, but very hard times. And 
you can listen our episode about Kherson in our next episode. Uh, this was a podcast explaining Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tatyana Harkova, who is heading international program, international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Uh, we devote majority of your donations to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders. Patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.